time of worship this morning, haven't we? Amen, church? I'll ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find one underneath the chair you're sitting in or one of the chairs close to you, but Matthew chapter 20, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now as we honor God's Word together. Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Verse 24, When the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 31. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's pray together again. Father, please uh, speak to us and help us understand what you've said here. Make us what you want us to be. And thank you, God, for who you are. Do a great work by the Holy Spirit to open up these truths to us so that we just don't hear them with our ears, but our hearts are are deeply affected by it. Do it for your glory and do it for your joy, your people. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. This month in our church's emphasis that we're encouraging folks to do is to seek how you might serve another church member. And so it's fitting that we're in this passage of Scripture uh, thinking about uh, servanthood. When we think about greatness, we may have a lot of things come to mind. We may think of great athletes or great politicians or we may think about veterans who great, do great things for your country and, and rightly so. But I want us to consider this morning and really God wants us to consider as we're here in Matthew chapter 20 this morning about what he says true greatness truly is. So we think about what's going to take place here. Jesus is on, on the way to Jerusalem. Can you see him on his way to Jerusalem? And not for the first time, but for one of... Several other times, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, Boys, I'm getting ready to go be crucified. We're on our way to Jerusalem. Do you realize why we're going? The Son of Man's going to be delivered over and mocked and scourged and beaten and crucified. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. And as if they don't even hear it, they get into a squabble about it, according to the Gospel of Mark. It even says here in verse 24, the disciples were indignant at the two whose mother had come up to them and approached them. Can you see them walking along? And later on, maybe it's the same day, the mother of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, two of the disciples, comes up to him and says, Hey, can my, can my boys, I know you're about to go to Jerusalem and everything, set up your kingdom, but you, can my boys sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into the kingdom of God? Now, Mark doesn't record anything about the mother. So it, it, we could think to ourselves, Well, these are mama's boys and she just wants the best for them, and I'm sure that's probably true. But what's really going on here, since Mark doesn't even show that the mother, Matthew's seeking to be just give us all the facts and details that he can to say the mother's the one that asked. But Mark doesn't even mention the mother asking because Mark's focus is to help us understand it was the boy's idea, all right? They wanted this. It wasn't like the mom was forcing, forcing this on them. No, Mark's helping us see by not mentioning the mother, this is something they wanted, and the rest of the disciples didn't like it either. They wanted to be great as well. They're all concerned about their status. So here we are again. It's not the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that it's been asked, who's going to be great in the kingdom of God? We see it in Matthew 18. We see it in chapter 19 too. And both times he says, you've got to humble yourself like a child if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God. And so here we are. We're concerned about rank. We're concerned about status over other people. And Jesus is concerned about true greatness and Jesus says, as we continue to read in this passage of Scripture, this is the main point. True greatness, true greatness is serving others for their joy. True greatness is serving others for their joy. Now, folks, there's a lot of people in the world would say the same thing. In political circles or on talk shows or whatever, they would say true greatness is serving other people for their, for their joy or for their happiness. So we need to be clear. True greatness is serving others for their joy. What do we mean by joy? What do we mean by somebody having joy? We're talking about, Jesus is talking about joy in the Lord. We're talking about joy that's eternal. We're talking about joy that's not temporal, contingent on earthly things or possessions. We're talking about joy in Christ. A joy that can't be taken away. True greatness is serving others for that kind of joy. And so Jesus tells them, if you look in your Bible with me, that this is what they're supposed to be doing in verse 26. It shall not be so among you. Look at your Bible in verse 26. But whoever will be great among you must be your what? Your servant. 
and whoever will be first among you must be your slave. So if you think servant's not a strong word enough, he says servant, and then he says slave. So let's think for a moment together as we launch into this. What, what is it that Jesus means by being a servant or being a slave of others for their joy? What does he mean and what does he not mean? Well, three things I want to share with you right up quick. First of all, serving others for their joy does not mean serving foolishly. Serving others for their joy does not mean serving foolishly. It don't mean being a doormat. Because I know, human nature as it is, we talk about servanthood, one of the first things that's going to pop into a lot of our minds is, well, does that mean I just got to do everything for anybody no matter what they say? Well, that's not what he means. But let's see what he does mean. You know, when I was in the military, a uh, drill sergeant might come along and he might say, beat your face, private. You know what that meant? That didn't mean I was supposed to take two fists and start beating myself. When he said, beat your face, private, that means he wanted me to do push-ups. And I'd have to get down in what you call a front lean and rest position and I'd have to do the push-ups the right way until he said, stop. And you know what? He had authority over me. If he told me to get down and do push-ups to beat my face, then... Uh, I'd have to do it whether there was a good reason for it or not. Whether it was a frivolous reason for me having to do push-ups, I just had to do them. I was at his service. I was under his authority. Whatever he said to do, like a slave, I had to do it even if it was frivolous. Is that what we're being told to do for other people? No matter what we do, just do frivolous things, no matter what they want us to do, without any discernment. No, you know that's not what it means, right? In fact, I think I can sh I, we can see that in Scripture. First of all, we see a place in Scripture in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus is dealing with a centurion and he says, the centurion says to Jesus, you know, when I have a servant comes and he comes to me and I say, go and you do this, well, he goes and does it. He doesn't argue with me. He just, he just does what he's told. Well, that's not what being a servant means. We're not a servant in that way. Like, like we're, everybody's beck and call to do whatever they want. Jesus was not. In fact, if you look with me in Matthew chapter 12, you'll see an example where Jesus, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. He's the suffering servant we're going to see of Isaiah chapter 53, right? He, if, he's, if anyone serves, it's Jesus. But in Matthew chapter 12, we see them coming along and asking Jesus, hey, won't you do us one of those signs? Remember? Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Okay, I'm a servant. At your wish, here's a sign. No, that's not what he does. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the son of the sign of the prophet Jonah. He doesn't do it. So being a servant, let's just be clear, so it make you feel a little bit better, make all of us feel a little bit better. It's not being frivolous. It's not just doing something to snap of anybody's finger just because we, we they want us to do it, right? You got that? Serving others for their joy does not mean serving foolishly. It means serving wisely then. So do I always have to give money to the homeless person every time I walk past them on, when I go to Evansville? They ask me for a dollar. Do I, do I have to do it? I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to serve everybody for their joy. Do I have to do it? Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's not a good thing to do. You're putting a Band-Aid on a problem or they're going to go and spend it on alcohol and we got all those things going through their mind. Is it okay to, to use discernment? The answer is yes. All right, so, so we're clarifying some things here up front, right? That, that's not what is meant by being a servant for everybody 
for their joy. It doesn't mean to go ahead and sin if somebody wants you to sin, if your husband's trying to talk you into doing something you're not comfortable with, whatever. It doesn't mean to contradict Scripture. Serving others for their joy doesn't mean serving foolishly or sinfully or unwisely. But secondly, let's talk about what Scripture does mean. Serving others for their joy does mean serving selflessly. It means serving selflessly. It means this, it's not using what we have in a self-serving way. Now let's look in your Bible and see where it says that. It was back in verse 25. Look in verse 25 with me of chapter 20. But Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. So you've got rulers over Gentiles. and They have authority, right? They rule. Then he says, And their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus says it shall not be so among you. So here's some rulers, and they have something. They're in control. They have authority. And Jesus says, you're not to serve in that way. So sometimes these Gentile rulers, Jesus points that out because in the Roman Empire you'd have rulers, sort of like a corrupt politician who's not there to serve the people. Not that we know anything about that, right? But you might have a corrupt politician or a corrupt leader like that, and they're just there to serve themselves, to make things better for themselves, to advance themselves. And he said, don't be like those Gentile lords and rulers who lord their authority for other people to serve them. They're just self-serving leaders. Don't take what you have and use it to serve yourself. So what Jesus means here about serving others for their joy, it means serving selflessly. You take what you have... And you wage it and leverage it for the good of others. That's what he's saying here. You don't, you don't use it to, to boss people around and to get them at your beck and call and abuse your authority. Instead, it's using what we have in a selfless way. Notice verse 26 and 27 again says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever be great among you must be your servant, and whoever be first among you must be your slave. So serving others for their joy doesn't mean serving foolishly. It means serving selflessly. Not using what you have in a self-centered way, but using what you have in a selfless way to serve other people. So what do do we need to do? We're not rulers over the Gentiles like the Romans were, but a question to ask ourselves real quick, a point of application is this. What do you have? What do you have? We've got a lot of things. We just talked last Sunday, you've got to leave everything to follow Jesus, Right? What that means is you have to be willing to leave everything you have to follow Jesus. Nothing can stand in the way between you and following the Lord Jesus. That's what that means. So there there are things that we still have that we hold on to that the Lord allows us to have to be good stewards of. So what is it that we have that, and then how can I use what remains, what I have, in service for others? That's the question here we have to ask when it comes to serving others for their joy selflessly. What do I have? Maybe you've got maybe you're doing well off financially right now, or maybe you've got a large home with an extra bedroom, or or maybe you've got an extra vehicle, or or, or maybe you just got extra time on your hands, or maybe you don't have any time on your hands, or maybe you but but still the Lord's wanting you to help serve others. What does what does serving others selflessly look like for you based on what on what you have? Because this is what it means to follow Christ. I'm leaving everything to follow Jesus. And I want to use what I have to serve others for the glory of God, for their joy in God, in the Lord. So what is, what is serving others going to look like when you go to school this week? What's it going to look like to serve your classmates? What's it going to serve, look like for you to serve uh, 
the, the person that you're going to the bank with, uh, to do banking with, or whatever. What, what service going to look like? What service going to look like in, in the context of the local church, of this body of Christ? How, how can you serve other church members with what you have? How about, how, how can I not insist on my preferences, but, but insist on how can I serve other people by, by, by serving their preferences? Serving others for their joy, does, it does mean serving selflessly. And number three, serving others for their joy also means rejection and suffering. It means rejection and suffering. Look at verse 22. When these two young whippersnappers came up with their mama and wanting to be great in the kingdom of God, Jesus asked them a question in verse 22, and what was it? What did he say to her? He said, what do you want? What do you want? Then, if you keep reading, he says in verse, or excuse me, it's verse 22 is actually his reply. Jesus answered, you see verse 22? You don't know what you're asking. I want my sons to be great. You do not know what you're asking. And what Jesus is going to reply to them here is, boys, put up your swords. Put up your swords, boys. You want to be great in my kingdom and their minds when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. What was he going to do when he got to Jerusalem? Get rid of the Romans. Establish the Davidic monarchy as prophesied in the Old Testament with Jesus as Messiah and King. And everybody's happy, right? And in their minds, this was going to require picking up a sword. And they might have to suffer. And so when Jesus says, are you willing to drink my cup? I think they understood that that meant suffering but I think, they, they think, I think what was going on there is they think that meant they were going to suffer as far as they were going to fight and they were going to sweat and maybe get hurt in battle so that Jesus could be by force become the political king of Israel. And they were willing to drink that cup. And Jesus says, you will drink my cup. Right? You keep reading your Bible. What did he say? You will drink my cup. Are you able to be baptized, baptized with the baptism I'll be baptized, baptized with, immersed in the suffering I'll be immersed with? You will. But it's not the suffering for the reason that you think. So he's saying, he's, he's saying to them in verses 22 and 23, put up your sword, boys. You won't suffer as soldiers. You're going to suffer as servants. And James, one of the brothers, sons of Zebedee, later he was executed for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as he tried to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to others for their joy. And later John, the other brother, was exiled on the island of Patmos as he tried to serve others for their joy by proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Serving others, he was telling them, do you know what you're asking? Serving others for their joy means rejection and it means suffering. I remember, and I may have told this before, but I like telling it, I guess, but uh, Micaiah here, when he was little, and we got home from church one Sunday night and he was sitting at the table, he's probably four or five years old, and he said, there's a raisin in my nose. I said, what? There's a raisin in my nose. Well, that's not something you expect to hear just out of the blue. There's a raisin stuck up his nose. How'd it get in there? I put it in there. <laughs> and, I, and he was getting upset because it was in his nose. So I took and I said, 
well, I'm not going to spend a bunch of money and go to the emergency room to get a raisin out of his nose if I don't have to. So I thought to myself, and I, I got some tweezers, and I got that little fella, and I said, Makai, come over and lay on the couch. And he got laid down on the couch. <laughs> he didn't know what I was going to do. And I took him tweezers out, and I said, now lay still. And he saw that, and he's like, ah! He didn't take it very well. So I pinned him down, you know, and got his arms down. I took him tweezers, and I reached a pair, and I got that up his nose, and I got it out. And of course, when I got it out, he's still going, ah! I said, Makai, I got it out. He's just going on, going on. You know what? I had to pin him down to get that raisin out of his nose for his good. But he didn't know it. And because he didn't realize it was for his good, he was with his little four-year-old arms the best he could trying to push my arms away. He was rejecting me. If he could have hit me, he probably would have. Serving others for their joy means sometimes they don't realize that what you're doing is actually for their good. It's for their joy. What happened to Jesus when he went to Jerusalem? What was he going to do? He was going to give his life, it says, as a ransom for many. And they didn't see it. What's it say in verse 19? If you look on back in the passage of Scripture, when he got there, what happened in verse 18? We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes, and they'll condemn him to death. He's coming for their joy. He's coming to serve them for their joy, and they're going to condemn him to death. Look at verse 19. And deliver him over the Gentiles to be mocked and, and flogged and crucified. They're going to, that's how they're going to respond because they can't see that he's doing something for their joy by taking away their sin. They see him as a threat. They don't understand. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, serve others for their joy. And that's going to mean rejection and suffering because they're not always going to see in the way you've been called to do it that what you're doing is for their best, for their good, for, their glory, for, for God's glory and for their good. So I think of sharing the gospel and evangelism. Sometimes folks will, are going to, I shared the gospel with somebody this week while I was out, and I, I, could, I was reading body language to see if she was feeling uncomfortable or not, and, and I could tell maybe she was, and, I, and I, so I'm thinking later as I walked off, saying, I wonder if she was receptive or just being nice or, or if she was just hoping I would hurry and leave because here's this is strange. This guy's talking to me about God and about my soul. And, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if she saw what I was sharing for her good as good or not. Or just annoyance. If I was just annoying her or not. And, and sometimes, sometimes when you share the gospel, people will be hostile about it. You know, I don't want to hear this. Or they might cuss you out. And that, that, That's happened to me once or twice. But usually not. Usually people are not like that. But in some areas in the world, they'll, they'll cut your head off for it. And here you are for the good of their soul, and they're going to take you out. If they slaughtered Jesus on a cross, guess don't, don't be surprised, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Serving others for their joy means rejection and suffering. It's not, it is going to happen. If we're going to be the servant that God wants, it will happen in some way or another. Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
So if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're seeking to serve others for their joy, you're going to suffer in some way some sort of persecution for your faith in Christ. It may, be, it may not be near as severe as what we might think when we first think of persecution, right? Maybe being left out of a friend group or something like that. I don't know. That does, that's a very mild in comparison to others, but still, you're suffering. You're, there's something you're missing out on. Because they don't see it for their good. Sometimes we speak the truth to people in love, maybe even to one another, and, and it's received as condemnation rather than conviction. Sometimes we withhold good things from people we love. We withhold good things from our kids and they don't see that as good. They see it as just being mean, right? And we know we believe what's best. Sometimes it's confronting sin in one another's lives or it's disciplining one another as a church family and that's seen as judgmental or whatever it might be when actually it's Brother, we love you. We want you to understand that if we let you continue in this, it's, it's, we're not doing you any favor by just slapping you on, you know, just, just acting like it's okay. Serving others for their joy means rejection and suffering, being misunderstood and called all kinds of names at times. So, so we talked about what serving others does not mean and what it does mean. And so I, the thought now is serving is hard. <laughs> serving is hard. So how can I properly be motivated to serve selflessly even to the point of rejection and suffering? How can I be motivated to serve others for their joy? What's going to motivate me? What do I need to see before my eyes? What kind of vision do I need to have before me at all times so that I go ahead and share the gospel and maybe get rejected or, or step out and help somebody that, that really needs some help and they don't see it as good and, and they don't see it as love and I go ahead and serve anyway or, or maybe they do see it as love but it's just going to cost me giving some money I'd like to hold on to. You know, they're, they're glad to have it. It's a need you're meeting but you're going to have to make a sacrifice to serve for their good and joy by just you know, giving some time. You don't have time. You'd rather be out hunting in the middle of the deer rut right now or you'd better be out fishing or you'd rather... Uh, have more time with your family or whatever it might be and, and so you're sacrificing that way what, what kind of vision do I have to have for me that motivates me not to, not to serve others out of joy out of feeling condemned uh, but simply doing it because I, I want to and the answer is this you must see the greatness of the God who serves I want you to think about that statement. Jesus has been talking here about the greatness of the one who serves, right? And to motivate us in a gospel-centered way to serve others for our joy is to see the greatness of the God who serves. The God who serves. God serves. Just take those two words. God serves. Notice what Jesus says in this passage of Scripture. Just two words in verse, first two words of verse 28. What's the first two words of verse 28 that you see? He's just told them to serve as servants and, and be like a slave if you want to be first. In verse 28, what, what's the first two words? Even as. See that? 
even as the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus. The Son of Man is the Son of God who is fully God. Do it as He does. Our motivation comes from knowing that the one who is God, God the Son, has done the same. So do you see the greatness of the God who serves? He's the sovereign God who goes to Jerusalem. You see that in verse 17 and, and 19, through 19. That's what he's doing. You see Jesus going to Jerusalem? You know the terrorist that flew planes into the building on September 11th were great men, great servants. They were great servants of their God. Great servants of Allah. Because the false god Allah, what I mean by that here is not just the Arabic word Allah, but the one that denies the Trinity. The false god Allah says, you work for me, you serve me, and maybe you'll get paradise. So they're great servants of God. You know, they're, they're, they're doing what? They're getting rid of the infidels. But the true and living God cannot be served by human hands. Cannot be impressed. He's the God who serves us. Here's, the God, here's our God who's come to earth. Do you see the greatness of the God who serves? Here's our God in flesh. He came down to earth. He's walking to Jerusalem. And he's not going to Jerusalem. Listen. He's not going to Jerusalem to fulfill their plan about being happy and comfortable by getting rid of the Romans. He's the sovereign God who had a plan before the foundation of the world, right? He's the sovereign God taking on flesh, going to Jerusalem to fulfill his sovereign plan, not so that we'll have, not their plan, so they'll have a temporary happiness and, and comfort, be comfortable like they want him to, but to fill his sovereign plan so they'll have joy. And they don't understand it, so they crucify him and kill him. But that's why he's come. He's a sovereign God who goes to Jerusalem. And they'll have joy. And why will they have joy? What's the end of verse 19 say? And on the third day, he'll be raised on the third day. He will have conquered sin, death, and hell. He fulfills their plan when he goes to Jerusalem and gets rid of the Romans. There's still sin. There's still death. There's still hell. There's still financial problems. There's still going to be marital problems. There's still going to be heartache and strife over everything we're experiencing right in this room, right now, collectively. But if he goes to the cross and he dies and he's raised again according to his plan, the sovereign God who does this, then ultimately, for all those who believe in him, there's no more pain, there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, no more funeral homes, no more hospitals, none of it. Just joy. With him for all eternity. So do you see the greatness of the God who serves? Do you see the God who serves on his way to Jerusalem? The sovereign God. You see the greatness of the God who serves? He's the all-powerful God who suffers to ransom many. You see that in the scripture. He told them, don't be like the rulers of the Gentiles who... Lord their authority or use their power, what little power they have, for their selfish needs. He says, you be a servant, you be a slave, even as the Son of Man is. And here he is. 
Here he is, the all-powerful God, Jesus, the one who has all power, going to serve, to be a slave, to do as it says, verse 28, last few words, to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom, what's that mean? Pay a price. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all, right? Paid what? He paid the sacrifice for a sin. Who did he pay it to? Some people have ran off with this to say it was paid to the devil. Listen, the devil wouldn't charge anything. There's a debt owed to God. And what happens is God, right here, Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, fully God, goes to Jerusalem, the all-powerful God, and, and crushes himself. God crushes himself. This is the God. You see the greatness of the God who serves? This is the God we serve? He crushes himself. He doesn't say, take, get on an airplane and crush yourself in a building and then maybe you'll have a bunch of wives in your harem in paradise. He comes down, takes on flesh, goes through and fulfills his sovereign plan. He's all powerful and with that power, instead of crushing us, he crushes himself. Man, I, this is good news. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 says, it, it, was, it, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will to crush Jesus by the hands of sinful men. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. So what happens? An offering is made for guilt. Who's that offering made to? To God. God pays the debt himself. This is the God who serves. You can't make this kind of stuff up. Steve Wazing, we were in small group. We were talking about it, right, Steve? Monday in small group. And he was just like, men don't make this up, is what Steve was basically saying, right? This is, all these other religions make up this story about how working our way to, this is our God. This is the God who does this. Who has felt the nails upon his hands? Bearing all the guilt of sinful man. God eternal, humble to the grave. Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. Do you see the greatness of the God who serves? Does it make you want to serve him and serve others for their joy? To go ahead and suffer and sacrifice and be misunderstood or be, or, or be persecuted or whatever it might entail or, or give some more of your money away to help somebody? And then see the greatness of the God who serves and see what he has done and follow in his steps. He's the sovereign God on his way to Jerusalem and he's the all-powerful God who suffers to ransom many. Many will be saved by his death. And he is the merciful God who has pity for the blind. Just uh, moving on in the narrative here, there's somewhere about in Jericho in verse 29. These men are crying out, blind men, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd says, hush up. Leave him alone. He didn't come here to serve you. He's on his way to Jerusalem to set up this kingdom that we're according to our plan. You know, maybe that's what they were thinking. Hush up and leave him alone. He's got more important things than you. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
and he turns to him. In verse 32, Almighty God and God the Son says to men, verse 32, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) What a God. He said in verse 21, when the mama came up with her two boys, baby boys, he said to her, what do you want? (laughs) He endured the disciples in chapter 19 when they said they left everything to follow him. And they said to him, what do we get? What are we going to have? This is a patient God. This is a loving God. This is a God who says, what do you want? He's not Aladdin's genie, just rubbing the right way and giving an infinite number of wishes. It's not what he's come to do. But this is a God. They come to him and say, what do you want? And he heals them. It says in verse 34, And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. They ask for mercy and they receive it from the compassionate God. And in pity and compassion and mercy. Jesus, who is God's Son, did not have pity and compassion because suddenly He was becoming compassionate. God don't suddenly become anything. Amen? He is always merciful. He is always compassionate. And He's showing it to them right there. He is merciful. Do you see the God who serves, exercising mercy, Not giving them justice, but giving them mercy, giving them grace. Do you see the greatness of the one who serves, of the God who serves? Not without his help. Without his help, the Bible teaches us that we are blind. We are rebels. No one seeks after God, the scripture teaches us plainly. We don't see the greatness of the God who serves. We're like those mentioned in 1 Corinthians who see the the preaching of the cross as what? Foolishness. But as Donnie was saying just now, as I asked the question, he said, yes, we do see. Yes, we do see. We who are blind, we who are dead, we who are corrupt in our sins and not seeking Him, we do see the the greatness of the God who serves. Why? Why? Because he took the blinders off our eyes. He reached down and took them off and said, See, let there be light. And Tim Laswell went from darkness to light. Matt Fowler went from darkness to light. Same for all of us who are believers, right? We see it because why? He had mercy on us. He had compassion on us. And now we see. As Lydia Frill sang so beautifully, I once was blind, but now I see. And what, what a privilege it is to get to tell other people about this God. Folks, they ain't nothing. I guess that nurses my soul anymore. And it's hard, too, because it's awkward to tell other people about Jesus. You don't know what they're going to think. You don't know what they're going to do. But at the same time, nothing nourishes my soul more than to talk to somebody about the gospel. 
especially somebody that, that, that doesn't, doesn't have a clue about it. And it's like they're hearing it for the first time. And there's people like that in our community. I've talked to somebody this week. More than one person. They don't get it. They don't get it. And nothing nurses my soul more to get to talk about the greatness of the God who serves that, that they've never really heard. They think we've got to serve God and work our way to Him. No, it's not right. And I don't do that when I'm talking to them. You know, it would really make it weird. <laughs> I've never punched anybody yet, you know. But that vision of the greatness of the God who serves, of this gospel, when it's before us, that's what compels us to, to go ahead and share the gospel or go ahead and help somebody when we don't have necessarily the time on our hands we'd like to have, but we need to do it anyway. Whatever it is, it's, it's the gospel that compels us. We get the joy of telling people about him, brothers and sisters, and one day we're going to have the joy of seeing him face to face. All because of his mercy and all because of his grace. I've had this song going on in my head, the old song we used to sing back in Tennessee. I've heard of a land of joy and peace and wonderful life. A beautiful place of mansions there and skies ever bright where all who believe the Savior dear forever shall stay. And having been saved by grace divine, I'm going that way. It's all cause it's grace. I'm going that way. I'm going that way. And Jesus the Savior I adore is with me each day. I'm clinging to Him and never to stray. Yes, singing His praises all day long. I'm going that way. And I'm going that way because He went the way to Jerusalem to the cross. I'm not going that way because I figured it out. It's because of his mercy. So on the way, I want everybody to have that kind of joy. So I want to leave this place and slosh over on like a bucket of water because I'm so full of what Christ has done for me. And I pray that that's the way we are as well. As you bow your head and close your eyes this morning, maybe you've not experienced the true joy that comes from a, a relationship with the Son of the living God the God who serves. The scripture teaches us it's available to anyone who would, who would ask for it, who would call upon the name of the Lord, who would see that you're a sinner and you deserve His punishment and your only hope to be rescued from your sin is what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did for you on the cross. And you see that now and now you want to follow Him Call upon Him, ask Him to save you. He's working in your heart, and we'd love to talk with you about that. We can do so as we sing this final song together, or I can talk with you after the service is over. And for those of you here this morning and that are believers, maybe the Lord's working in your heart about a, a particular way, that intentional way that you might serve those around you this week for their joy. Not just so they'll think you're a nice person, but for their joy. What is it the Lord would have you do? Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this great gospel, unchanging. Lord, the, 
Weather's changing, going to get rough this week. The leaves have been changing for a while, Lord. There's change all around us. We look in the mirror and we see changes all the time. We don't want to see wrinkles and all this stuff and see the scales changing for the worse. But, Lord, we, we look at your word. We look at the gospel that we've met together to surround ourselves with this morning. And this don't change. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to serve you in light. In light of what you've promised and what you'll do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. We're going to stand and worship the Lord together and praise Him together right now. If you'd like to come while we're singing together, you're welcome to come and pray, and I'll pray with you if you want me to. Just get my attention, but let's stand together and sing and praise our God right now. Let us 
serve a great God. Amen. Amen. Like I said, let's leave this place and, and uh, just be ready to be used of God. Just be willing to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm, 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 I want to be willing to do it. So, so God, help me. If it's somebody you want me to talk to about Jesus or somebody you want me to serve, help me to do it. And help me to do it because of who you are and because they need it. So do that. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, we have been to space and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. 
At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.